Hello, stallions! My name is Agnes Caradicum. For those of you that know me and for those of you that don't, welcome to the family. This is a podcast made for the people, by the people, a place where I tackle difficult and thought-provoking topics and a place where you relate and find a better you. So sit back, grab your snacks, and let's have a chat. What's up? What's popping? What's happening, everybody? We're back for another episode, and today I have a special guest for you guys. He has two books, one called Guts and the other called Fail Fast, Succeed Faster. He has a project called Intuitionology, and this was made to make sure that those who join understand how their intuition behaves, sharpening their intuitive abilities so that the only decisions they make are the ones that lead them to success. And finally, he has a podcast called Intuitionology Podcast Series, I present to you Sunil Gods, and tell me I am pronouncing your name right. Correct. Okay. Welcome Perfect. to you. Welcome to your listeners. Uh, welcome to those watching. If you're going to have this on your uh, YouTube channel or somewhere where people are watching, uh, welcome everyone. So, Sunil, how are you? How are you really? I'm doing fantastic. This has been an amazing uh, couple of weeks. I've been sort of uh, on the on the podcast. Uh, hunt, not hunt, but uh, my marketing teams just got me aligned. I think we both talked about this about four weeks ago. You should get on podcast. That's okay. And then next thing you know, they had me on, I think I've been on 20 on the last three weeks. Um, and some, some people start hearing about my story and they're telling two other people are reaching out to me. And uh, my team's reaching out to people that have aligned interests and things that we can talk about from an intuitive perspective with a podcast series like yours, which is, which are doing some interesting things. And, and so here I am. So we've been good. Uh, we're still in lockdown, which is fantastic for us. Um, my, my two daughters are, are um, working, uh, they're studying from home online um, and they've got their own schedules. They're both very independent. So uh, yeah, things are really good. Where are you from actually? Canadian, so born and raised in Winnipeg, Canada. Uh, I now live in London, Ontario. Uh, but my folks are from India, so and I've been to India I think 30, 32 times. Uh, we we go almost every year. Um, my wife's from uh, Mumbai, so and that's where I met her. So we have a we, we go back uh, as often as we can because all her media family and everything's there. So and it's always nice because I get to blend the best of the East and the best of the West, as I call it. And when it comes to values, especially for my girls, it's important that they kind of learn both both sets of values. And so that they have a really good set to move forward in life with. I definitely agree. I'm Cameroonian. Both parents are from there. Uh, I was born in Maryland, raised there, the UAE and Senegal. And now I'm in Ireland. So I definitely resonate uh, with the values that you're talking about. They're very important. Now, I wanted to start off by asking why intuition? In past interviews you've done, you've mentioned that you were an engineer. So what inspired the switch? The deep dive into intuition really came from, so I've got two books. And the first book I, I wrote was called Fail Fast, Succeed Faster. And the premise of that book was really about if you were to learn from the mistakes of others, and this is specifically the entrepreneurship world or the business executive world, then as long as you didn't repeat those mistakes, then you should be able to succeed faster. And it, so I took, uh, I interviewed close to 300 executives and entrepreneurs on how and why they failed and what happened. And I put it in that book. And so when I started speaking on stages on the book, 
the one question I kept getting from a lot of the people in the audience was, okay, what's the one thing I can do that's going to make me succeed in business or as an entrepreneur? And at that time, I used to roll my eyes saying, okay, you know what? There's the whole reason why there's 75 stories in the book, 300 people interviewed, because there's no one thing until I went back to the audio recording. And when I went back to the audio recordings of my interviews, it was very clear that 80 to 90% of them were using some form of, I didn't trust my intuition. I should have trusted my intuition. I knew my gut was telling me. I knew what the right decision was, et cetera. A whole bunch of sentences around this thing called intuition. So then I started reflecting back on the times. Okay, so when did I trust my intuition? Because I've had those feelings before where I kind of knew what the right decision was. And the very first feeling that I got, I remember, was when I was five years old. And when I was five, there were these video games that my dad wanted to buy and, or wanted, I wanted to buy. And my dad was saying, you know, listen, they're, they're too expensive. And so that wasn't what I wanted to hear. And I re- distinctly remember this voice telling me, listen, you know, go door to door and raise money. So here's this five-year-old that I went door to door uh, and raised $200, which lots of milk and cookies, uh, and uh, $100 went to my dad, and the other $100 went to charity. And my my uh, the, the school that I was going to was giving back to to a charity. I felt really good about that. So that was my first, I guess, brush with intuition. And then when I reflect on the times that I ignored my intuition, uh, you mentioned I was in engineering, and I, you know, me being South Asian, so those who are looking, you know, I'm basically from, uh, you know, South Asian culture, uh, and so there's four career states that a South Asian son should actually consider. There's doctor, lawyer, engineer, or failure, and that's it. I chose door number three, which was engineering, uh, and I felt I, I spent three years in engineering, even though my intuition was saying entrepreneurship is your route. And the second year in that three-year uh, stint, I, I became a private investor with a restaurant chain that we brought up from Mexico. And pretty soon I was making five times more as an investor with that re- restaurant chain than I was in engineering. And I said, okay, the writing's on the wall. Um, in year three, I'm quitting. And I lost my relationship with my dad. It was a necessary sacrifice that I needed to make uh, to actually stick with uh, what I was really meant to do which was in uh, entrepreneurship. And lo and behold, five or six ventures later, $20 million in revenues. Um, and it was just amazing experience. And then I ended up becoming a management consultant. And I remember there was one huge contract in Silicon Valley. I was in Canada, uh, in, in living in Calgary at the time. And it was just crazy. It was a great big IT company. Um, the money was fantastic. and the, But the contract terms kept changing. And so I started saying, that's really weird. Like, you know, and the, this intuition, something was saying back away from the contract. But I was so emotionally invested in going that I spent every single penny going down there. And the company ended up not paying me. And I came back to Canada with 25 cents in my bank account. I was about to be married in a couple of years. My wife is phoning in and saying, how are things going? And I said, yeah, great. Meanwhile, I'm wondering where I'm going to sleep that night. Um, and so and then the third one, which was the most devastating, is when I was in engineering, I was doing some personal coaching on the side. And one of my friends reached out to me to try and get a hold of me because she needed some advice. It was a guy stalking her. And she needed immediate advice. And so my intuition was saying, you know, meet with her that afternoon because I didn't have anything going on. But for some dumb reason, I ignored that that something. And uh, I said, let's meet a couple of days later. Uh, well, the very next day, that same guy uh, followed her to a bus shelter and shot and killed her. Uh, put a bullet in their head. And I could have prevented that if I had listened to that something. And so that really got me thinking, oh my God, like, okay, why did I ignore it? 
And why do I, why I trust it sometimes? And this is, and so I saw it as kind of like an art and science. Like, how do I define this? Like, like, okay, let's start here. And so there's this blend of art and science, and you know, what does the what do these artists these some things, and is there science that's backing us? And sure enough, when I looked at the science, it was clear that there were MRIs showing where intuition existed. Tens of thousands of articles. Uh, it was, there was some research at that time showing that intuition actually uh, is acts seven to ten seconds on average before you actually make a decision or take action. Research that's coming out now because there's better research methodology. I've been told by a colleague that it's as early as 23 seconds before we actually take a decision or make an action. So there's this all this research that's backing up, and so. That's what I put in my book, Gut, which is all about uh, intuition. And so all the research studies are there. You're born with it. There were studies that showing that infants as young as two months old were shown to have intuitive tendencies. Um, so all this research and all this, this theory that I was thinking about intuition, how it acted in my life, has now just really been sort of correlated, I can't say proven, by scientific research. And so that already started me going down, okay, that makes sense. The other thing I also discovered is that these some things that we talk about are things called intuitive signals, and these signals are very unique to us. So we each all have a basket of positive and negative signals, and what happens is we, we sometimes don't listen to them. They're too subtle because they always start very subtle, and when you start to ignore your intuition, these subtle signals start to get louder and they change until it taps you on the shoulder saying, listen, this is your intuition calling you here. You can't ignore me, and some people have almost killed themselves. Some people have gotten into car crashes. Some people have gotten severe migraine headaches. Uh, so these are some of the intuitive signals that have come up. One, one of the entrepreneurs actually said his F left earlobe got hot. Every time he went into a venture that he shouldn't have, his left earlobe starts getting hot. And as he's telling me the story, he's grabbing his ear. He didn't know he had the signal. Um, and the other thing I, uh, in my research of, uh, you know, what other people think about intuition? There were four distinct groups that I, that I came across. The first group were people that were just, they knew right away. They, they lived life on intuition. That was everything. So Buddhist monks, I interviewed a Buddhist monk for my podcast series. There's an intuitive, uh, an international intuitive channeler, uh, Elizabeth April. She lives on, on intuition. And so that, that's their life because they realize it just exists. Um, the second group of people are the ones that absolutely need proof. And so I need to show them the MRIs. And so that's what gut was all about. Uh, and so those were, uh, you know, oh, yeah, okay, I also have these some things, but is there real science in this? Can you, is there proof? And so gut helped that. The third group of people are the ones that talk about it conceptually, but they don't actually live life like that. So there's a lot of people, especially on social media, that put some great quotes out there, but their lives are not like that, right? So they talk about live life with purpose and I trust my intuition and be in the present moment. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of that stuff. But when you look, when they, when they are actually living their life, they don't know what they're talking about because they don't live life like that. Because living with intuition means that you really have to be in the present moment. And the fourth group of people are the ones that just don't get it. They say it doesn't exist. And it's because they just don't understand how it behaves or their definition of it is not what they understand. And so, a good, uh, a good example of this is my friend, John Rothschild. Now, this is a guy who was an investment banker um, and spreadsheets, data, experience, that's all that life is all about. At the time that I was researching intuition, if I went online to top type intuition, what I would get is a lot of words around manifestation, about being in the present moment, uh, meditation, uh, cosmos, spirituality. And there's nothing wrong 
with people thinking that that's where intuition comes from. Because my goal is not to shove a definition down your throat. Intuition is a very personal subconscious phenomenon. So how you define it is how you define it. It's not for me to, to shape that. Uh, and so, but for him, it was all about data experience. So when he's thinking these things called uh, spiritual and this, that, he's like, um, okay, roll my eyes. Yeah, right. So when I actually turn on the video to have the interview, like he says, yeah, come down, I'll give you an hour. Five minutes, we'll talk about intuition. The other 55 minutes, let's just catch up. You know, it's been a while. We'll have a cappuccino, what have you. The camera's on. And you can clearly hear him say on the camera, I says, yeah, you know what? I just don't think intuition figures into it. It's just, it's, it's not there. So what I'm doing is I'm, as I'm educating, one of the four types of intuition that all work together, one of, the, one of them is called experiential intuition. And what that does is when you're born, you're taking, soaking up all the experiences around you and putting them in the subconscious area of the brain. So if you look at your brain like an iceberg, 90% is underwater. The other 10% is above water. The 90% is where it stores all of these experiences that are relevant to you as a, like a library. So the moment that you make a decision, it plucks those experiences that's relevant to the decision or the situation that you're in and says, okay, now we're informed from the past of what you learned or what you've experienced or what others have learned and experienced that have caught your attention. And it feeds you that information to say, now we've got some backing of data or experience. And so as I'm telling him, he's getting it. And then I told him, sometimes your intuition will have you go against the data. And he says, oh, well, I've got a story. And this is where he actually, he was opening franchise locations. He would put a franchise location only when there's a nine out of 10 on a benchmarking scale. There was a location that came at a five and a half out of 10. And of course, uh, you know, everybody in the company is saying, yeah, you can't do it. It doesn't meet our benchmark. Yet, and now he's saying, I'm not sure it's intuition, but I think it is, uh, told us to open it up. And that ended up being one of the biggest franchise operations, the most profitable under his portfolio called the beer market. Now he's getting fully invested in it. And so now we have another half an hour. I'm educating him more on intuition. And now he's fully in it. He's got the language. You can tell by his body language. Uh, he's just very positive. And the very last question I asked him was, when did you make a decision so obtuse that people thought you were nuts? And that's the second of the two types of intuition called creative intuition. And he said, oh, I've got a perfect story for that. This is a guy, you know, about three, four million dollars a year, high-end restaurants, limousines, uh, private jets. And he wanted to trade that all off to run one tiny little bankrupt restaurant. Of course, everybody's going to say, okay, what's your problem, right? Look at where your life is. Look at what you're wanting to do. And he said, he says, my intuition was saying that that's what I needed to do. And that's what he did. He quit, rolled up his sleeves, and he walked into that restaurant. That restaurant happened to be Eastside Mario's location number one, which he grew to over a thousand locations uh, over 20 years, $2 billion in revenue by the time he retired, all because of an intuitive decision. That's the power of intuition. And so for him, it was about understanding how intuition worked for him, uh, what his understanding was, his definition, how his signals work. And when he found out how it behaved, he fully understood it. And so every decision he knows now is the one is one based on intuition. And that's essentially what my Intuitionology project does. And so I basically said, if I can take John from zero to hero in about an hour, because he was one of my first interviews, can you imagine what I can do? other people and how they make decisions. 
And that's essentially how my Intuitionology project was born. Absolutely great. And to all of my listeners, don't worry, I will be linking the Intuitionology website in the description. You can find his book, his podcast, and more on there. Um, Sunil, you've already given us a lot of insightful information right there. And there are two things that I've kind of picked up and that I want to address in today's episode, social media and roadblocks. So my first question would be, do you think that with the growth of social media and our constant pressure and need of finding success can put our intuition at peril? Yeah. So, so there was, there was an interview that I did with someone named Bailey Parnell and she, for her master's, what she looked at was the role of social media to um, uh, mental health, essentially. And so I came in and said, okay, so, so I'm going to introduce a mediator or a moderator if you understand uh, the academic uh, stuff as intuition being in there. And so when you look to social media, and I talked about some of the memes and themes that people put in there, but they don't live their lives like that. And people, I see people who even talk to me about intuition. I've talked to them and they agree that they have to live their life like that. And they go back to, uh, you know, the dopamine hit of someone having likes because they put something else up. And, and everybody wants that dopamine hit. They want that extrinsic motivation when it should really come from inside. Yet when you're operating on intuition, it doesn't matter what people think. It's your journey. It's nobody else's journey, right? So whatever opinions they have, it, 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 it doesn't matter. And so this is where intuition filters the people around you to only pick the people around you that are going to lift you up and be supportive. And these aren't yes people. These are people that are going to give you constructive criticism, but they understand where they're going. They're there truly to be a support, and they're going to be there through thick and thin. In most cases, even in mine, I've met thousands of people in my life, as everybody else does. I've got two people like that that I can rely on and so that's how strong of a filter you need so when it comes to social media intuition is also a two-way street and so when we're, when we're looking at um, that, that study that with Bailey Parnell if you're going to go to social media and look at it as a, a way of self-improvement uh, and you're really looking to improve yourself um, naturally and so you're looking at themes or things that make you feel good in an intrinsic way, then your mental health, uh, it, according to her, her scale, however she measured it, it was either neutral or, or fine, high. Um, however, if you went to social media to look to improve your life because you're down in the dumps and you need, so it's not really, you're not really using it to uplift yourself. You're looking to others and you're feeling bad because their lives are better than yours. And I want to be like, I want to have that Ferrari or, or, you know, I wish I had a private plane. And so you kind of get that the psyche. And, and if you're looking to social media to help fuel that, and then it actually fuels the negativity in your, in your mind, then your mental health goes down according to our scale. So look at what you stop on. And if you stop on something, why do you stop on them? And if it's really something that someone's going to solve for you as a problem or really help you feel better, you're going to get dig deeper into what he or she is doing or what that brand is doing. And then what your intuition is going to pick up on is, is there a consistency between what I'm seeing on social media and what's being portrayed on maybe other digital assets, other social media channels? What's the messaging? How do they behave? What are other people saying? So you're going to be soaking in all this stuff before you're going to even trade anything like a deeper relationship, more money, time. And so that's the relationship between intuition 
and social media. And what happens is sometimes we'll deepen that relationship because it's serving something we, we, we have a void in our life that we really need to pick up from a negative perspective. And we're feeding that or we're spending so much time trying to justify who we are uh, and trying to prop ourselves up through other means and themes, which is not what you should be doing. And so same thing with relationships. When you look at relationships, you know the ones because of their intention. What's the intention behind them? Why are you with them? Are you with them because of a brand? Are they popular? Or do you really have deep conversations? Do they really understand you? And unfortunately, I think many people are doing it for extrinsic motivations. That's one of the hurdles called ego. It's kind of follow the herd mentality. You know, maybe you like their friends. Maybe you like where they hang out, but it's not really your part, part of your values. And you can detract from your values for a little bit of detraction, but when it goes really against your values, your intuition will know. I heard you say your intuitions need to align, and I think that's very critical, whether it's friendships, relationships, business partners, etc. You know, we often hear girls saying, girl, I spotted a red flag, but we oftentimes ignore it and try to fix it instead of address it. Uh, why do we do that? So what we try and do is there's, there's a couple of things that are happening. One is, when, especially in relationships, we get too emotional. We're emotionally, we try and give second chances. Um, when intuitions are giving you second chances, giving that other person second chances, when it's giving you warning signals, it's saying that the person that you're with, and the person, people can change, you know, people get into a relationship. It's great at the start. And what happens is that other person changes. They get out of it alignment with their intuition. Maybe their values change. And intuition is always on. It's like a camera, right? So it's always looking at one of the four types. Is, so we talked about creative intuition. We talked about experiential intuition. The third one is called relational intuition. That's when you're looking at the other person and say, do I trust them? Are there body twitches that are deceptive? Do their actions match the words? And again, it's always watching to make sure that that person is trustworthy. So it could be that someone changes and then either we're too emotionally in there and we talk ourselves out of it, even though our intuition is saying, get out. And people, a couple of people have actually heard those words, get out, come out in their mind. That's one. The other one is fear. Fear of failure, fear of the unknown, fear of change. And so uh, what a great example of this is uh, someone who I interviewed, Sarah Prout. And this was someone who was in a 10-year relationship, 40 separate incidences of massive physical abuse uh, and beatings. And her intuitive signal got so loud that one December 31st, as I think it was 2008-ish or 2000, one of those years, it, it finally hit her. The intuitive signal said, now, now's the time. She looked up the stars and she got the signal and she had had enough it was done so the fear that she had is now she had a roof over her head she had income coming in now she's got two kids she's got thirty thousand dollars in debt she's homeless as soon as she walks out and so she was fearful before so she stayed in and when she stayed in there was physical abuse she got out made the decision um went on welfare, two kids eating beans and bread, had to go to, uh, uh, you know, Goodwill, get furniture, getting some furniture off the side of the road, actually going to public washrooms and putting pieces of soap together so that her kids can have a shower at home. Um, all of that to trusting her intuition. And one thing leads to another, leads to another, finds the love of her life on Twitter, uh, over a year, they end up getting married. And six years later, she's now running a multi-million dollar business in manifestation. 
Um, now, the thing is, getting over the fear doesn't mean everybody's going to be a millionaire. That's not the message. Right. The message is you overcome the fear because your intuitive signal, remember, getting, getting, knowing what your positive and negative signals are. She knew there was a part of it, positive intuitive signal saying, even though you're fearful, that signal is saying, take the, take the next step. And so she, she, uh, she took that step and then the doors of opportunity started opening. And so she was much, much happier. And again, success is intrinsic. And the problem with not taking that step is that you come to, a, there's an inflection point where you have the intuitive signal saying, you got to take a step, but you actually have to take the step. And a, a really good case study of this is a colleague of mine who has cerebral palsy and he's been in a wheelchair basically all his life. And one of his dreams was to dip his toe in the ocean. So he got a chance to fulfill that dream. His wife took his wheelchair with a couple of handlers, took him up to the, uh, you know, where the sand and ocean meet. He gets up, dips his toe and falls flat on his face. And as he's recounting this story, he says, you know, I have one of two decisions I can make. I can get up and succumb to fear and sit back in that, in that wheelchair and forever regret that I've never even, never been able to reach the dream that I've wanted in life ever. Or I can trust my intuition and I can take the next step. And I can take the next step. And that's what he did. And he kept walking and he points to his chin, says the water gets up to here. And he, then he looked back. And when he looked back, he says, you have no clue how far you come when you take those steps. That's how you overcome fear with your intuition as a guide. I absolutely love that. Now, I want to give you a quick scenario. Um, your parents always wanted you to become either a lawyer, engineer, or doctor, as you said. Um, you're currently in college studying to be a lawyer, but you realize that your calling is to write thrillers, for instance. What are the type of questions to ask yourself when you want to tap into your intuition when your mind is fogged by all of this outside opinions and, and commentary? Yeah, so, so there's, there's an environment that you can get into called an intuitive medium. And essentially what that is, is where do you go to cut out the noise? So do you, do you walk on campus? Do you go to the library? Find a particular corner in the shower, sometimes going for a drive, just drive, just taking the bus. Where do you go to sit and just think? And so what happens is when you get into that environment, you really think about, um, you know, all these types of decisions that you, you, you have. So it, let's talk about your parents and their intentions when they're giving you the advice. And I, I believe that people give their advice and most are well-intended, but they just don't take into consideration what you want, right? So my dad didn't care whether I wanted to be an entrepreneur. His intention was, let's get my son into something safe. Uh, the South Asian community is all about stroking ego in most cases. Uh, and so it's about, oh, my, I can talk about my son being a doctor or a lawyer or engineer, and it sounds good. What are the other people going to say? How is it going to look? So their, their focus, it could be uh, very overt or it could be subconscious, but their focus is egotistical in nature. So if, if the intention is that, then they're not thinking about me, right? And so what did, what, and I looked at the past. What did I do that was really, really good? Um, and so if I look at, I was involved in bake sales. I was in sales, uh, it, you know, and, and there were a lot of things that came natural to me as a talent. And so it just seemed that I was good at creating, creating opportunities, creating events, create, there was a lot of creativity in me. So if I tie some of these things together, uh, in, entrepreneurship just seemed to be 
something really that really resonated with me. And when I thought about that, it really felt good. Like when I looked at business stories, or I looked at even looking at taking a, an MBA or, or doing a, a bachelor's in, in uh, you know, management, that feeling I got was just like, yeah, you know? And then when I was thinking about going into engineering, it's about appeasing my dad. It's about that ego again. Yeah, it is safe. But it didn't feel like that's what I wanted to do. Yet I did it. Right? So a lot of it is looking at the intention. The other thing is there's nothing wrong with being a doctoral lawyer or engineer. Absolutely. If that's exactly what you want to do. But there's a reason why, you know, one of the highest suicide rates are for dentists and doctors, alcoholism rates, drug rates. They're not happy with, with what they've chosen. Right? Um, even one of the guys I, I interviewed, a friend of mine, he's an ENT surgeon. He wanted to be a, a physician, but he said, I didn't take time off to even think about that. Maybe it could have been a different career. So he got out of university or even high school. He said, I should have taken it off and thought about my decision. Now, he's a, he's a, he's a surgeon now, but he thought it could have been a different career, right? And he never thought about it. He just drank the Kool-Aid, right? Uh, now, he's, he is where he is. But I also have another friend of mine who, who fell into that trap in engineering. And if, when you have the heart-to-heart conversations with him, which I have, he hates where he is, but he's a professor. He's in it, and he doesn't want to change. Anybody can change at any time if they want to. You look at the, you know KFC, Colonel Sanders. Uh, you know, uh, sixty-five, almost broke, almost divorced, and now he's a billionaire at eighty-six. Right? I mean, these are there's several examples of that. You can change at any t- at any point in time, as long as it's driven by intuition, and then the doors of opportunity open up. He chooses not to do that. He chooses to run the rest of his life until he actually makes the change because he's deep in it now and he just doesn't have that in him. He doesn't think to change. That's, I can't do that for him. He has to come from him. Um, so those are some of the questions that you can ask. Uh, you also have to take a look at, okay, just because you, you, you did well in some uh, positions, um, you know, let's say you want to be an artist um, or a chef and, and you love cooking. Let's say you love cooking. My daughters love cooking. And my, my other, my one daughter is an artist. You can see some of her art in back there. Um, and so what is it about the art or, or the creativity or, or cooking that you like? Maybe it's creativity. And if it's creativity, maybe you're great in marketing. Uh, maybe in augmented reality, virtual reality. Maybe it's in video editing. So you have to take a look at what are the base skills and what's what a career that's going to get me in that's going to do that. And don't forget that you're not stuck in a career. The average uh, st- uh, statistics, I don't know, it was a job monster that I grabbed. So anyway, there were some statistics I grabbed for a presentation I did for a university. Uh, Gen uh, X's average 3.9 years in a position or in a career. Uh, 3.2 years for Gen Y. Uh, the average is going to be six times. You can jump into six careers, uh, different careers after high school. So if that's the case, it doesn't mean that you made a bad decision. It could be that, well, it could be that you made a bad decision, but you're also going to learn from that. Or it could be at that time, that was the right decision. And you learn from it, you gain some skills, but then your intuition is saying, okay, you're done with that. Here's another career. Then you go into that career. Uh, if you're trusting your intuition, if you're not, you go into a bad career, but you learn from that. So intuition takes what's good and bad from the past. And helps you with that decision so you don't repeat the bad. And obviously, you, you take the right steps. So 
especially when you're younger, it's really important to to have those conversations and trust that intuition. And unfortunately, what happens is not a lot of kids are exposed to this kind of language. Um, they're not exposed to trusting their intuition because that's just not taught. I mean, even though experienced at five years old, you know, somebody, somebody at the five says, trust your intuition. I'm saying, Oh yeah, what is that? Is that a, it's a, is that a pizza type? Yeah. Of yeah. It just doesn't happen. But yet for my kids, for example, I talk about intuition all the time at home. So as much as they roll their eyes saying, Oh my kid goes dad again about intuitionology. When my kids were, when my eight year old was five and I mean, my oldest 14, when she was eight or nine, both of them were able to escape bullying opportunities because they saw behaviors that they didn't like, and then they moved away. They didn't get affected by the behaviors because they were able to see ahead. Their intuition at the time, they don't see it as intuition. And so they said, something told me that I don't want to be friends with that person. It's their intuition. And for Avni, my, my 14-year-old, she, uh, um, when she was 12, she went to India. And she had an intuitive moment where she saw these artists that didn't have arms and she was painting since she was four and she was dad this, these are beautiful these guys are like disabled and people think that they're not they're not normal like i i, I want to do something for them i said okay and i said well you know what dad talks about right it's got to come from you you tell me what you need to do and six months later we were playing some board games and then she just she was just staring at the tv and then she just looks at me and said dad i'm ready and I had no clue what she was asking. But I, I, it's just like, what are you ready? Like, we're already playing the game or uh, are we going somewhere? I mean, what? she goes, no, I'm, I'm ready. I, I know what I want to do. With what? And I said, well, remember that time in India? Yeah, I'm ready to take that forward. I said, okay, what are you thinking? I'm going to paint my art and I'm going to sell them to raise money to, for these events that I'm going to host. And I'm going to have people with disabilities and illnesses come and they're going to paint to express themselves to feel free. And I said, okay, this has to be driven by you. You ready? She goes, yes. The very next day, we got a domain name. The very next day, we opened a Canadian federal nonprofit corporation. And some of the paintings in the back are originals. We had a fundraising event for her. The budget she wanted to raise is 2500 bucks. She raised over 5000 Her originals were gone in one hour. We actually had someone from, uh, from Scotland on FaceTime being shown the originals and then that person bought an original uh you know powers of power of the internet and she's raised over thirty thousand dollars so far she's had one uh one uh, pop-up event of course COVID happened and the one instance that i really this is where purpose is really important for her it's not about the money it's not about the passion her passion is 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 um, art but the purpose is to make people feel so good those disabilities analysis to make them feel normal in the moment that she can help them which is put a paintbrush uh to canvas and one of the fellows that came has uh cerebral palsy and when he came he said abney come here let me show you what this event was doing so this guy hadn't painted since he was in high school this is now 26 or 28 years later. He found out about the event through social media and he came. Uh, and so he says his left, for those watching, his left arm was just shaking violently because of the cerebral palsy. And with his right arm, he starts to put the brush on canvas and his left arm just settles. And he said, this is what your event is doing. My mind is open. It's clear. And I'm just loving this. And he just looks at her and says, thank you so much for what you're doing here. That's purpose driven by intuition. 
I want to say thank you so much for joining me on the Stallion Podcast. So insightful, so much knowledge and stories that my listener and I um, could benefit from. Now, before I close off, do you have any last words? The only thing that I'll leave your listeners with and those watching is that you can actually start right now. And the first thing that you do, and it, which is incidentally what you do in the first day for the, of the challenge for the problem, is look back to the decisions that you made that were the right ones. Look back to the ones that you made the wrong ones. And pay attention to what you felt at the moment. And what you're doing now is you're building an inventory of positive and negative signals. And the thing is, even though to think there were things that you remember that you did bad, and you got an, let's say there was one bad decision, and you remember hearing a voice. You don't know if that voice is signal number one or signal number three. If it's signal number one, you're good, because you listened to that first signal, and now it's in your basket or inventory of negative signals. If that is signal number three, that's great. You have one no, negative signal, but what was signal number one and number two? And if you don't get those, what that tells me is you made two bad decisions. And two bad decisions could be that you just walked into the wall or you're headed for bankruptcy. You don't know. So you need to keep knowing at that. And over time, what you then have is a basket of positive signals and you have a basket of negative signals, and you can do this today. And so now the next decision that you make, what does it feel like? And if it feels like the dots are connecting, it's opening up, or <clears throat> you know, it just feels right, which are positive signals, that's the step you need to take. If it's the wrong decision, then you get a negative signal. And if you made the wrong decision, then what that, that tells me is that you don't have a lot of your negative signals figured out yet, right? And so you have to be very, very careful. But the more you can do this, the, the better that you're informed so that every decision you make is the right one. It doesn't matter what the situation is. And that's your intuition hard at work. On that note, subscribe, 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 and share on all platforms and tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you guys have any suggestions on what my next episode should be on or any comments on this episode, shoot me a DM on the Stallion Podcast, either on Instagram or Facebook. And on that note, your girl is out. Bye.